0: In his book, The Dilbert Principle, Scott Adams uses his sarcasm and wit to talk a little bit about work, and these are Dilbert's laws of work. Don't be irreplaceable. If you can't be replaced, you can't be promoted. When you don't know what to do, walk fast and look worried. That one usually works. Everything can be filed under miscellaneous. If you're good, you'll be assigned all the work. If you're really good, you will get out of it. If it wasn't for the last moment, nothing would get done. Keep your boss's boss off your boss's back. And then my favorite, eat one live toad first thing in the morning, and then nothing worse will happen to you the rest of the day. Maybe your work's a little bit like that. You sort of dread it. I mean, even today, you're thinking, man, I've got to go into work tomorrow and face whatever it is you've got to face and I know what it's like to dread work to not want to go to work because I've had that kinda of job when Leanne and I first got married I worked for a finance company called First Franklin Financial we did sales finance like if somebody bought a washing machine we financed it for them but we also made loans to people who really couldn't afford to pay them and we made them to them uh, because they couldn't get one at the bank they came to us cuz their credit was terrible and I hated every minute of that job For two and a half years, I went to work every day, and I hated all of it. It was miserable to me. Maybe you know what that's like. Because the kind of work you have to do, you don't enjoy. And you never will enjoy it. And maybe the person you work for is really difficult. Or maybe the people you work with have a totally different set of values than you do, and they sort of make your life miserable. You don't enjoy being around those people. And so when morning comes, you're already thinking about, man, when is it going to come that I can get out of this place? And you're looking sort of at your future and thinking, there's, there's nothing better out there for me. There's nowhere for me to go where I can get out of what I'm doing right now. And so you're stuck, and you're thinking, I'm going to spend years and maybe decades doing this job, and it feels like a complete waste of time. Maybe a complete waste of your life, but there's no way out. So, how in the midst of that can you possibly find satisfaction? A a recent uh, article from the Wall Street Journal said that over half of Americans find no satisfaction in their jobs. So, more than half of us here today probably are miserable in our jobs. What do we do with that? We're in the series that we're calling Can't Get No Satisfaction. And we're thinking about taking what God has given us, and maybe rather than trying to change everything about our lives, which we tend to do this time of year, and maybe you're already feeling guilty because something didn't change. How do we find satisfaction where God has placed us and with what God has given us? So the first week we talked about money and the fact that there's never enough money. We'll always want more. So how can I find a way to be satisfied with what God has given me? Last week we talked about family and how we may love our families, but they do some stuff that drives us nuts, right? How do we find satisfaction in the midst of that? And today, how do we find satisfaction in jobs that maybe are really unpleasant for us and we just don't feel like we can get out of them? I want us to look at a couple passages today that I think it can help us with this. The first one goes all the way back to the beginning. It's in the, the very beginning creation account, Genesis chapter 2, where we're talking about the reasons that we were created. And we read this in Genesis two fifteen. Then Then uh, the Lord God took the man, Adam, And put him in the Garden of Eden, why? To work it and take care of it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of the Garden of Eden, I think about this paradise. And I've always sort of figured that Adam and Eve are like just sitting in a chaise lounge with a big stack of fruit beside them. And they're, you know, hanging out most of the time and using what God has provided for them. But that's not the picture we get there, is it? That even in the Garden of Eden, the most ideal place to live, even in that setting, there was work for human beings to do. We were created with this ability, and I think a desire to do something that counts with our lives. We want to do some work that will make a difference. I can remember... Back before Leanne and I got married, um, I had been going to school during the day and working at night. Then we got engaged and we were planning our wedding. I said, okay, we got to have a little more money to prepare for this. So I started going to school at night and I was going to work during the day. Well, that was a great plan, but at first I couldn't find a job during the day. So I was sitting at home for about three weeks with nothing to do. And it just about drove me crazy. I wanted to go to work, and maybe you've been through a time when you didn't have a job, and and the thing you wanted to do most every day was go to work, and there was no work to do. I think we have the sense that we want to accomplish something with our time. Now, the second passage I want us to turn to is in Colossians chapter three. Colossians is a great book. There's lots of wisdom, especially in the second half of the book. Um, that I think helps us understand what it means to live a Christian life. And at the end of chapter 3 what we find is a household code. Now we've looked at one of those before. We find them in Paul's letters. We find them in other ancient literature where the the writer of a letter or some book says, "Okay, this is how a household ought to work." And so it's Of course, Paul shows us how a Christian household should work. And he lays out, okay, husbands, this is what you do, wives, fathers, mothers, children. And he even talks to household slaves, which were in existence at that time. Now, we're not slaves, but there's some wisdom there when Paul talks about work that I think we need to hear. So, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward it is the Lord Christ you are serving so Paul is helping us to try to reorient how we understand work so do you hear what he says he says, You know, you, you may go to work and it feels like your goal in your job is to please the person that you work for, your boss. But it just might be that you're working for someone that you will never please. Have you been in that situation before? You're, you're never going to make this person happy. You could work for them for 10 years, 20 years, they're never going to say, Awesome job they're never gonna say I think you've got it they're always gonna show you what you did wrong and you're gonna feel inadequate as long as you're working for this person Paul says forget that it's not about making some other person happy instead Paul tells us our work should be about God we find our meaning in work as we realize that everything we do is for God, now that's a little easier when we think, okay, family, that's God's, and, and church life, that's God's. Paul saying, work, that's God's too. And he uses a phrase here that he uses nowhere else. It doesn't appear in any of Paul's letters except here. He says, "You do this for the Lord Christ," and I think he's using it for emphasis. Because he's bringing together our understanding of God, Master, the one we serve with Christ, which is Messiah, King. You've got God and you've got King tied together. How greater an authority figure could you find? So we might think we're working for our boss. Paul says, no. It's all about Jesus. You're working for Jesus. So we've got to find a way to serve Jesus Christ in our work. Now, if we back up in that same chapter, we come to verse 15, 15 through 17, which I think is the the best three verses in the whole book. He summarizes everything up in these three verses that are just a, a guideline for Christian living. So let's hear that. Beginning verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful So he says the language is, is sort of referee, sporting, umpire. If you want to know the will of God, Jesus is the umpire. Jesus is the referee. He's going to show you what it is, whether it's work, family, or anything else. But then at the end, he reminds us this is all about pleasing Jesus Christ. If you want to know how to do anything in your life, does it please Jesus or not? Can you do it in a way that pleases Jesus? Because that's going to change everything. Because ultimately, our reward does not come from our employer. Our reward does not come from our clients or customers. Ultimately, our reward comes from Jesus. There's a great story that Ray Steadman tells that this older missionary couple has served in Africa for decades, and this took place, you know, back at the, uh, the the turn of the 20th century. So over 100 years ago, and they've been serving in Africa in a very difficult time for decades, and finally, it's time for them to come home. They're retiring, and so they board this ship on their way home to the United States for the last time, and they find that on this ship, they also also on the ship is Teddy Roosevelt. Great hero. Everybody knows him. He's extremely popular. And throughout the voyage, everybody is struggling to be around Teddy Roosevelt and have a conversation with him and be introduced to him. And everybody's all this accolades and praise go to him. And finally, when they come into the harbor for the last time in the United States, there's this big crowd waiting on Teddy Roosevelt. And this man turns to his wife and says, You know what? This is this is not right. It's not fair. We have worked all these years doing everything that the Lord asked us to do and there is no one to welcome us home. And his wife turned to him and said, "Yes, dear, but we're not home." And that's really so true. We can work for people to praise us and some never will. We can hope that we're going to please people And some will never be pleased. But we haven't received our reward. And ultimately, it comes from God. So the lesson that we need to hear from this is that we give our work meaning. We give our work meaning because we're followers of Jesus Christ. And because we're people of faith, we can invest in our work, even if it doesn't feel like ministry, even if it doesn't look like ministry, we can invest meaning in that work because it's done for Jesus. And because it's done for Jesus, then it can have meaning. So we have to think about, okay, how can I invest in this work some meaning so it can be done for Jesus? Now, maybe not all jobs can work that way. Let's go back to that job I worked before Leanne and I got married, or after Leanne and I got married. The first Franklin Financial job. I hesitate to tell you this story, but here goes. There was a guy who came in our office, and this was twenty some years ago, so money was worth a little more. But he wanted a loan for a hundred bucks, okay, hundred dollars, and I made him the loan and with the interest and the fees and the insurance and everything else that he ignored when he was signing he had to pay it back six at twenty five in other words six months twenty five dollars a month now do your math hundred dollar loan in six months he's paying back 150 bucks that's not a very good effective interest rate is it and the thing that got me was that he walked out the door saying best deal I ever got. This is the best deal I've ever had. And I'm thinking, well, I just can't do this. I can't do this. It didn't feel right to me. It didn't feel like it was a job where I could act with integrity. And maybe you're in that kind of job today. Maybe you're looking at your job and you're thinking, there's no way somebody who follows Jesus Christ can do this job because I'm required to do some things that are not necessarily illegal, but they just don't fit with who God has called me to be. And so you know you've got to change. There's got to be something else. You've got to do a different job. And I encourage you to take that difficult step and look for something else. But I think that's probably the exception to the rule. I think for most of us, we can act with integrity on our job. The question is, how can we do it in such a way that it is done for the Lord Christ, for God himself? I think we have opportunities to, since we can, act with integrity. And the way we treat people can be done in a way that, as if it were done to Jesus, whether it's customers or clients or the people we work with, the people we work for, or maybe the people who work for us we can act in such a way that will set us apart from everyone else which means we might look different and that can be uncomfortable and yet it can also be a witness to the fact that we have been changed by Jesus Christ but I think we also have this opportunity to serve because we are interested in the good of other people we can serve in a way that maybe no one else serves again it may set us apart make us look different and I know that in certain jobs you have more opportunities and are allowed to speak more about faith than in others but hopefully because people see something different in you you have the opportunity to share the difference that has been made because of Jesus to do this job in such a way that it brings glory to God because of the way you're treating other people. It can become ministry because it becomes service. That's important. You see, our attitude can affect how we feel about our job. Our attitude, the way we approach it, can make a difference as to whether we're satisfied with this job or dissatisfied with this job. One of the great... um, great speakers in the 20th century sort of that the power of positive thinking kind of thing was Zig Ziglar and he tells a story about a lady you know he came in town to do his power of positive thinking kind of stuff and and uh, a lady came up afterward and said I get what you're saying but I'm miserable in my job he said well just tell me one thing you like about about your job and she said I don't like anything there is nothing I like about my job and he said well do you like to get paid and she said well yeah well do they pay you down there yeah well you like that then right I guess so And he said, I want you to sit down get a piece of paper and write down everything you like about this job. And before she knew it, she had written down 22 things she liked about her job. I get paid. I get three weeks of vacation. I get paid more than the average person does doing this kind of work. You know, they train me to do this stuff. 22 things she wrote down. And then in his typical way, he said, well, what I want you to do is stand in front of the mirror every morning, every night for 30 days and say, I love my job because... I get paid, vacation, all those things that she had listed. And he said, I want you to take that piece of paper with you everywhere you go because in a couple days you're going to have a bunch of stuff that you want to add to that list. And so they parted. And it was six weeks later that he came back to the same towns for a follow-up from that original conference. And she walked up and she was all smiles. And he says, well, how are you doing? And she said, you know what? You can't believe how the people down there have changed since I talked to you last. The way we approach our work, the way we live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ can change how we see our work and how we see other people and maybe even how other people see us. We really can give our work meaning. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the work you've given us to do. There are lots of people in our world today who would love to just have a job, and we're thankful for what we have. But God, we pray that you'll help us to see it as ministry, help us to see the opportunities to serve others, maybe to have a a chance to share with them what you have done in our lives. God, we want to do it for you, and that means to do it however will please you. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. And maybe today you're here and you recognize that it's time to put your faith in Jesus Christ because he's offered you this gift of forgiveness and eternal life, and you want to live the rest of your life serving him. We'd love to talk to you about that. Or maybe you want to be a member of our church. If you're a baptized believer, we'd welcome you into this family, and we would love to serve with you. So if you've made either one of those decisions, come forward as we sing our invitation. Let's stand together.